0: to do with what you should do or not do or how much of it you should or shouldn't do this is all about the i guess the how and the why you should be serving all right so we're going to talk about the how and the why and then the what will between you and the lord later when you leave okay so quick question all right so immediately what comes to mind when i ask this question right don't think about it just what comes to your mind are you a leader or a servant All right. So this is a trick question, because if the answer isn't both, then you're wrong. All right. (laughs) You have to be both. You can't be one. You can't truly be one without being the other. All right. So I want you to consider this phrase servant leadership. Um, Some of you might be thinking, yeah, well, that sounds great in church, but where I work, they're more interested in productivity. They're not interested in these crazy theories or at home. It's just hectic, and I don't have time to be thinking about servant leadership. I just need to deal with what's going on, right? But that's not really true. Um, if you Google servant leadership, this idea has been around since, I'm not exactly sure, but 60s or 70s or something, okay? And then, so the heyday of AT&T was, I don't know, like 70s, 80s. And there was a, they actually had a position called the Director of Leadership, And that guy, whose last name was Greenleaf, I'm pretty sure, he's the one who coined this phrase, servant leadership. And so he wrote books, and he went around talking to Fortune 500 companies about this idea of servant leadership, all right? But, so he coined the phrase, but Jesus is the one who first did it, right? He never called it that, but but if you read the writings of this Greenleaf guy, it's not the exact words, but it's the life that Jesus lived. So Jesus was the original servant leader. And so today we are going to look at how he lived and how that applies to us to be servants. So if you remember, Jesus made a clear distinction between what would probably call like the self-serving leaders of the time, right? The Pharisees. I mean, he said things like, uh, well... I won't even get into the unflattering things he said about the Pharisees, but you remember them, right? And, and, he, and then he spent his time teaching the disciples by example and by lesson, right, what it meant to be a true leader, a true servant. All right, so just some quick biblical background. We'll just go through a few things, and then we'll do some application. All right, so, so one. Christ is the highest example of servant leadership, right? He he was the model. So Matthew 20:28, 20, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to go through these quick. All right, number two, servant leaders are gifts of Christ to his church. This is from Ephesians 4. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, right? So, he gave us to be servants as gifts to his church. All right, number three, faithfulness is Christ's measure of true success. And there's a lot of measures of success in this world, and most of them appeal to your self-centeredness, your doubt, right? All kinds of things. But faithfulness is Christ's measure of true success. From 1 Corinthians. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, all right? Or, for my superhero friends out there, as Uncle Ben told Peter Parker who is Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, right? That's the same words paraphrased. All right. Um, Number four, the servant leader follows Christ's example. Again, he's the greatest example. First Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, right? So this is Paul encouraging the, the, the church there to follow his example the way he's following Jesus. And number five, the servant leader seeks only to please God. Man, this is a lot different than the culture around us, right? Um, the servant leader only wants to please God, not please whoever's popular, not please a friend, not please yourself. Please God. Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus himself is the example. The creator of all things came as a servant showing us the way. Alright? So the remainder of our time we're going to try to look at some application. And there's a lot of application that we could probably draw here, but I've picked four things for us to focus on. Okay? Number one, a servant is humble. So I'm going to read from Mark 10. And I'm only going to read 35 to 40. Your, your notes say a little bit more than that, but I'm going to read 35 to 40. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow, that's, that's quite a request. All right. What do you mean to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. All right. Getting worse. All right. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Oh, they're just getting worse and worse. All right," Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Okay. I read this and... At first glance, I think, really? You would really ask Jesus these questions? Seriously? Like, what are you thinking? Um, Right? We know what they're thinking. They're looking for power, prestige, right? The kind of things that even today the culture says we should probably look for. And then Jesus gives them a sharp rebuke, and rightly so. Um, He's suggesting that they don't know the real path. They don't even understand what they're asking or talking about. They sound like children arguing over shotgun in the car, right? Hey, that's my seat. No, I'm the oldest. No, you did it last time. Whatever. That's how they sound. Um, but then when I really start to think, I think, man, this really isn't that far-fetched, right? I've I personally never s- said to Jesus, hey, I want to sit right next to you in glory. But I've said some stupid things, and I've asked for some dumb things, and I've had some lame judgment in the things that I've thought about before. And I'm sure I'm not the only one, right? I've, I've asked a lot of things that weren't that humble. Um, so at the end of the exchange, Jesus calls the disciples together, and he gives them this lesson, lesson on servant leadership. So I'm going to read this from Matthew 20, but this is... The same story that we read from before, just from a a different disciple, all right? Um, So verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. All right, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Frank Crane, and he defines humility as this. It is the wish to be great and the dread of being called great. It is the wish to help and the dread of thanks. It is trying to be good and blushing when caught being good. That's, that's a pretty good way to look at it. So try this. I want you to try this. I want you to to think about your humility. And I want you to measure it by your sense of unworthiness of God's grace and mercy. All right? Okay, so I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about your humility, and I want you to measure it against your sense of being unworthy of God's grace and mercy. My guess is that all of us would find that measured against what should be our unworthiness— when looking at God's great sacrifice for us, our humility isn't always where it should be, all right? So when we do that, when we think about our unworthiness compared to God's lavish gift, we wouldn't take his love and his mercy for granted, all right? And, and I find that to be a difficult thing to not do, to not take it for granted. I find it to be difficult, Right? You wouldn't subconsciously feel that that you're you're owed anything by God, right? You wouldn't subconsciously feel, oh, I did all the right things, so this should happen for me. It would be more like, wow, I don't deserve it, but God is gracious enough to let me have it, um, right? You would always see those blessings as undeserved rewards. In Luke 17, Jesus tells the disciples that we should be able to say that we're unworthy servants of the Lord, only doing what is our duty to do, right? And not duty out of, out of hey, like, you know, the like military you've been commanded to do, but duty as in, wow, God was willing to give his all for me, so what else, my only response is out of love to do what he's called me to do. Okay, number two, a servant has a heart of integrity. Okay, a busload of politicians were on their way to a convention. The driver on a windy country road, the driver lost control, ran through a fence, crashed into this farm, right? The uh, old farmer, soon thereafter, was on his way out noticed something had happened, followed along, found the bus, crashed, and buried them all. A few hours later, a state trooper was trying to find the politicians that didn't make it to where they were going, saw all that happened, went to the farmer's house and said, hey, uh, like, what happened? The guy said, well, they, they crashed and I buried them. And the st- trooper said, they were all dead? And the farmer said, well, a couple of them kept saying they weren't, but you know how those politicians lie, <laughs> right? So, Politicians are an easy punchline for integrity, right? I mean, it's just it's just too easy. Um, however, how is the church viewed in light of integrity? Unfortunately, not that great, and and sometimes it might be the cause of right just a few bad apples, but but that's still the reality in which we live, right? The church, in view of integrity, isn't isn't viewed all that great sometimes. Um, more importantly individually, like we have to think about our individual integrity. Um, let's, the only true definition of integrity has to come from God's word, right? Um, so let's listen to, to this. It's Paul's words in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. All right. Let me paraphrase that verse like this. Integrity is making my daily actions line up with God's heart. All right? My daily actions line up with God's heart. All right? So, it's easy to pick on the politicians. All right, I'm going to tell a story about the church. Okay. Uh, once there were two brothers who were extremely rich and, let's just say, not that good, right? They. They just weren't that good. But they they went to the local church every day, every Sunday they were there. Um, But when they left church, they didn't really live like they they were Christians. Um, The old preacher at the church retired. A new preacher came. The congregation exploded. They wanted to build a new building. Right about that time, one of the brothers passed away. The other brother came to the new pastor, kind of slickly put an envelope in his hand and said, there's enough money in that envelope to pay for the new building outright. All you have to do is, at my brother's funeral, say that my brother was a saint. Can you do that? And the preacher looked at him and said, yeah, I can do that. So at the service, the the preacher said, and let me tell you this about this guy. He was evil. He was wicked. He cheated on his wife. He was mean to his kids. He was a hypocrite. He cheated in business. He didn't do anything right. But let me tell you this. Compared to his brother, he was a saint. All right? So, again, integrity, right? So, and it's kind of easy to pick on the church, too, right? A, a few bad apples here and there, and they're easy to pick on. Um, but but even in this case, obviously, the preacher, what he did, that was not integrity, right? Integrity isn't isn't the technicality of doing the right thing. Right. Integrity is, is do your words and actions line up with God's truth? And I mean, that's the only way we can judge. Are do we have hearts of integrity? Right. So remember this. It does not take long at all to lose. To to lose integrity when we don't have the compass of God's truth guiding us. And that's the only way. All right. Number three, a servant is unselfish. All right. So I'm going to read this story from Luke seven. It's a little bit long. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. (laughs) Then she wiped him with her hair, kissed him, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. (laughs) Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. All right. This story shows us what a true servant's heart looks like. Um, And it's easy to see the unselfish heart of the woman. But let's, let's understand the context here and talk about the Pharisee a little bit. All right. So, um, so Simon is a Pharisee and he invites Jesus over for dinner. Alright? right. Jesus is also an important figure of the time. And remember that the Pharisees are all about rules and laws and regulations and what they look like on the outside. So and you guys probably know, like, people walked and it was customary to, for a guest, for, for somebody to wipe clean, make sure the guest's feet are clean when they come to their house, all right? So um, it's extremely unlikely that Simon would have forgotten to do this, right? Remember, this is the kind of guy who would strain his drink to make sure there wasn't a gnat in it because gnats were unclean, right? So this is the kind of thing that Pharisees did to make sure that, they were clean on the, on the outside, even though they had all kinds of issues on the inside, right? So it's extremely unlikely that somebody who's obsessed with these kind of things would just forget to offer to, to wash his feet, right? So he did this, on, most likely did this on purpose, right, to, to shame him or something like that. I, um, so if he truly, right, he would have wanted to honor his guest, he would have done that. Uh, so it's kind of a shame tactic, I'm guessing. And then contrast with the actions of the woman, right? She wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. She gave this probably expensive jar of perfume, kissed his feet. Um, then after a typical trick question designed to trick Jesus into saying something, um, um, which is, you know, kind of a, the M.O. of the Pharisees, Um Jesus turned the tables on him. The person that has the greatest debt forgiven will be more thankful. So here's the question for us, right? Serving with an unselfish heart. Have we counted our blessings, right? The ultimate blessing of salvation, the, the blessings of the day, the many blessings that, that are happening in and around our lives. Do we take them for granted or do we count them? Do we even notice some of them? Um, and then what's the result of that right does it does it tend to make us thankful or will we just move on? <clears throat> right So obviously Jesus isn't physically standing in front of us like we're not going to do these things that this woman did, but not physically but right. Does our heart, does our heart get turned towards God when we see all the blessings that we have, all the things that he's done? Do we, does it create anything in us, right? Is there any kind of action that happens after it? Or are we just like, huh. right? Another day, another, right? Just another normal day and. And nothing results in our heart or our mind because of all that Jesus did. So, a true servant is recognizes all that Jesus did and allows that to generate an unselfish response. Alright, so related to that, a servant has, number four, a servant has a giving heart. I once heard someone say a message somewhere that, if Christians truly reflected on how deep and how wide the love of Christ was, then the church would never have to ask for money or volunteer ever again. All right? So, I mean, that's something to think about. Um, let me tell you an insider story about Hanover Friends. All right. So, Lee Zimmerman, can you raise your hand? So, this, this is Lee Zimmerman. Um, I have been to, over the years, many ad council meetings. And, and Lee's been on the ad council. He's a presiding elder for a while, and he's done various things. He's been at a lot of these meetings too. And so, um, I'm going to tell you something that I've heard Lee say, I bet at least a hundred times, and he probably doesn't know what I'm talking about because it just, it naturally comes from him. And I don't even think he's ever thought about this, but imagine ad council meeting and we're saying, Hey, we need this right? There's something that needs to be done. We need this money. We need these things done. This is Lee's response every single time. I'm not even kidding you. If we tell the people, it'll get done. If we tell the people, the money will show up. If we tell the people, it'll happen. That's Lee's response every time. And he's right, right? And so this is a cool thing. This is one of the reasons, one of the reasons we wanted to come here. Like We could see this giving heart of this community. right. But don't get too cocky. Okay. Um, um, So this is the heart of Christianity. Remember. So the verse that everybody knows for God so loved the world that he gave. Right. That he gave. And if we're true followers of him, then and if we're going to live like him, then we also have to give. Right. I mean, there's there's no other way around it. There's no other way you can interpret this. Right. He gave, if we're going to be like him, we have to give, right? Now, I'm not saying, right, and what I love about this community of believers is, right, it's, it does feel like it's from the heart, right? It's not, it's not because Pastor Ed stands up here and beats us over your head and says, hey, you're not giving enough money. I mean, I know there's churches like that, um, right? But it just feels like a, hey, I have a servant's heart, a servant's giving heart. And that's what happens here. All right. So Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. All right. And that's not rich in terms of money. That's, that's what happens when you have a true servant's giving heart, then the joy and the things that result in your life because of that. All right. Uh, I talked to the kids about the Right, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Right? So you guys know the story. The night before he was crucified, right? Jesus knelt down and he, he washed their feet. And, and he said, as he was doing that, you see what I'm doing. As the, I have done for you, go and do for one another. Again, not necessarily talking about washing people's feet, but being the servant that Jesus was, that's what he's calling us to do. All right. You might have heard it said... That God helps those that help themselves. I've heard it a bunch of times, right? And it sounds good, but it's not in the Bible anywhere. God never said that. Um, There's a pastor in Haiti, right? And you guys know Haiti is like the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. One of the poorest countries in the world. And all kinds of issues there. There's a pastor there who, with a budget of just like $2,000 a year, literally helps in their ministry thousands and thousands of Haitians every year. And so somebody once said to him, how can you possibly run this ministry that you're doing, helping thousands and thousands of people all the time, and you only spend like $1,000 a year or something? And this was his response. When we help some, God helps us, right? Notice the difference. God helps those that help themselves versus when we help some, God helps us, Right? God, this is God's heart, serving, serving people. This is his call to us to serve people. And when we serve people, God supplies, God provides, God shows up. God does the thing that only he can do. While when we do the things that he's called us to do, this is the heart of a true giver. This is the kind of thing that Jesus was modeling, right? When he was serving the disciples and serving people. So here we go, four key words, humility, integrity, unselfishness, and generosity. There are other things, but, man, I thought, wow, that seems like, that seems like a good list right there. We should, I, I struggle with these enough. Like, let's stop here, all right? Humility, integrity, unselfishness, generosity. So when we come to church, we shouldn't leave the same as we came. So here's what I'd like you to do. Um, I want you to take a few minutes to consider your servant's heart through the lens of those few four words. And just ask God to show you how your servant's heart can grow to be more like his. It's nothing to be ashamed of, right? This isn't a guilt trip. This is the, hey, do we really want to be more like Jesus? If so, man, our heart needs to be like his. And these are four good words to start with. So, so contemplate these for a few minutes and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord, help us to be a true servant this week. May we be also aware of Jesus' great love for us. And may that love overflow from us. and touch everyone we encounter this week. Lord, change our hearts. Mold us. Make us more like Jesus so that we can faithfully serve humbly, unselfishly, and generously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.